I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The following podcast is a member of the Great Big Owl family. Smashbot. What is this incessant compulsion to escape? What do you want me to do? Kill. We're going to break in, not out. Are you going to let them shoot ten more people to save your own skin? What kind of a man do you think I am? Hello and welcome to SmashPod, the podcast celebrating all the Bond films and Bond-related films by those who enjoy, hate, or, you know, just aren't asked about them. Hosted by me, John Rain. It's side special time again, and this week we'll be fighting the Nazis by way of Time Team and X-Factor. Yes, it's Escape to Athena. And joining me to find out just how much a Greek earns... <laughs> hey, is comedy writer Andy Riley, who can be found on Twitter as Andy Riley-ish. Yeah, Andy Riley was already gone. Oh. And, and like a lot of people that are putting down a Twitter handle, I did it years ago when I didn't know that I was ever going to do a second tweet. <laughs> so, oh, you know, right. you're, stu- you're stuck with the ish. I think it's good, though. It's funny. Is it? I don't yeah. know. It'll, it'll do. It'll you do. didn't go down the road like lots of people. Like when I used to use my real name. I just, because John Rain was already taken, I went, yes. Mr. John Rain. Yeah. Which at the time felt great. Yeah. But now everybody does that. It feels really boring. Yes. So I think any variation is good. Okay, good. So That's- ish is funny. Okay, good. I'm, I'm glad you think so. Feel good about yourself. Yeah. So Escape to Athena. Yeah. Had you seen it before? No, I'd never heard of it before, before you, you, uh, you, you sent me this thing. Um, it is, uh, it's a strange old thing. It was a, I suppose you could describe it as some sort of a, a, a wartime crime caper. Yeah. A lot of those in the seventies. Yeah. Made in 1979. Mm. And only, I realized two years before Raiders of the Lost Ark. And it has some of the same components because it's trying yes. to do action and humor and Nazis and mm. archeology span all good. in one film. And with Raiders of the Lost Ark, absolutely everything lands. It's fantastic. And with this, just two years before, no. <laughs> no, it doesn't. It's a huge thud, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. But it took, I mean, it was only on the, about the third, I've watched it, I think, about three times now. 
Only on the Sorry. third. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Well, you know, there, there are many layers to, to <laughs> this nonsense. Um, but it's only on the third. No, about the second viewing that I realised the the Raiders of the Lost Ark thing. Before then, almost immediately, the association that I had with it was Mamma Mia. What? Well, because. What this is, is it's a bunch of mismatched actors on a Greek <laughs> island sort of mucking about. <laughs> and that, and oddly, when I described it to Polly, my wife, about two days ago, she said, oh, it sounds like Mamma Mia. And I hadn't said that. Um, uh, and it's just a strange sort of agglomeration of people all knocking about in, in sunny weather. And there's a dance at the end. There is. Like Mamma Mia. And disco music. Uh, disco at the end, yeah, that really doesn't work. <laughs> no, it's very odd. I know what they're trying Even to do. Even though it's 1979, it doesn't work. I know what they're trying to do there. They're trying to say, ah, but this is Greece today. And it's like, well, don't don't put disco music on that because mm. that says this is Greece 40 years ago. <laughs> um, but I know first thing you notice is it's produced by David Niven Jr. Oh, no, I didn't notice that at all. Yeah. Lovely helicopter shots on the way in. Well, the he, here's the thing. Although it is ostensibly a duff film mm -hmm. it has two bits which are absolutely fantastic mm. and it means you can never quite entirely write the thing off uh one of them is this opening helicopter shot which starts off over the scene you think okay opening helicopter shot yeah and then it zooms in over a castle with a nazi flag on the top and then you think oh, it's going to cut any moment yeah and then it doesn't it just keeps going and it focuses in on this uh, group of Greek resistance fighters. And you think, OK, now it's going to cut. Mm -hmm. No, it doesn't. Uh, one of them kicks a guard over a wall and runs away and gets shot at. And it's really exciting. Yeah. And it's the first thing you see. You think, by God, this is good. Yeah. This is like an undiscovered gem. Yep. Then. Mm. <laughs> you know what? I, I completely agree with you at this point. I was thinking, that's a fucking great shot. Mm. However, he uses it about four times uh, throughout the film. What, that particular shot? No, not that or same just, shot, the, but the helicopter same shots. technique. The helicopter yeah. shot. Well, to be fair, all the helicopter shots are absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Uh, and also, well, there's another good, really, really good bit in it that I think we should get to in a mm. while, mm. but not quite yet. Well, it's directed by George P. Cosmatos. Yes. Who I assume has got Greek heritage, but he directed uh, Sylvester Stallone films like Cobra. I saw that, and uh, First Blood 2 Rambo. Yeah. So what was commonly called Rambo, he did. And Tombstone. Never seen it, but I know it's roughly what it is. It's good. Well, it's all right. <laughs> um, but the first thing, one of the first things I enjoyed was David Niven dressed as a Time Lord getting hit by Mr. Bronson from Grange yeah. Hill. Yeah. Oh, Mr. Bronson from Grange Hill? Yeah, Michael oh. Sheard is the weird Nazi. Oh, he's the, he's the pervy Nazi? Yes. And the little glasses. Yeah. So I, th I think we should probably explain roughly what the, the situation is. At, it took me a few minutes to figure out what was going yeah, on. It's, yeah. it's, not, it's not that clear. Yeah. It is the Second World War. It's, mm -hmm. as it says at the start, somewhere in the Greek islands, right? Yes. So it's, it's a specific island. It's, it's a misleading little caption. Mm. It's a Greek island. And there are some prisoners of war on this Greek island, including David Niven, Sonny Bono, Richard Roundtree, who is mm -hmm. otherwise known as Shaft. Yeah. Uh, By the way, he is playing Shaft in this film, isn't he? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. He's one of the, he does one of the better performances. Yeah. Uh, and they're all in a, in a prison camp, which is being run by Roger Moore. It's basically Maplin's. Yeah. Because there doesn't seem to be any kind of, like, uh, stakes in this prison yes. camp. Yes, but then it, then it gets, it, it, it has some big exposition to do early on, and the mm. exposition is difficult, because the plotting of this film is quite confused. And that, so it starts off with this sort of prison break that, that doesn't work out. It's like the beginning of Chicken Run, really. 
yeah, yeah, <laughs> we're, we're uh, David Niven, uh, Shaft, and Sonny Bono <laughs> trying to escape. They they don't escape and they get put back in the jug again. And then there's what you call the the scene two exposition dump. As a writer, I, I know this is often a problem where with scene one, you or the first sequence in a film or a TV show, you think, okay, I don't really need to convey information or at least not much exposition. I need to excite people. Mm-hmm. So you have a bit of a chase and, 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 and some action, and that's what this does. But you can't put off the exposition forever. No. And so once everyone's rounded up again, Roger Moore has to do some exposition. In he comes with his German accent. And you're going to have to put up with this for the whole film. It's 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 like a fair weather friend. This German. <laughs> yeah. Occasionally he says V or this, but yes. most of the time he's just doing his normal voice. Yeah, he's he's doing his normal voice, <clears throat> and it turns out that the prisoner of war camp is not just a prisoner of war camp. No, it's also an archaeological dig, yeah. and so there's this one line which I had to like rewind it because I. Yeah, I didn't have VHS, but I like to say that even for YouTube. Good. There's a somewhere when you kind of scroll back on YouTube, I like to think there's a tape somewhere. Winds <laughs> it back for you. Yeah. And and as Roger is talking to the inmates, uh, berating them for escaping, he says, and I quote, "Imagine this in a German accent." Where would you be if the benevolent arm of the Führer's antiquarian reclamation unit had not rescued you from your various internment camps? Ooh. There's about 50 syllables in that. And Roger delivers it pretty well. To be fair, he's brilliant. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But Him he, and Elliot Gould are the best things in it. Yes. Uh, they, Elliot, well, we'll get on to Elliot Gould. Yeah, yeah, I've, yeah. I've got some opinions about that. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, that's, that's sort of the situation at the start. So the, all of the prisoners aren't just prisoners. They've also got to dig. And David Niven, at least, has some skills in that area. Mm-hmm. The other ones, it's not really explained. Not at all. No. Sonny Bono is a chef who isn't Sonny a Bono's chef. Sonny Bono is a chef. He is a chef who isn't a chef. And everyone jokes about how crap his food is or something. And he's supposed to be Italian, but he's got an American accent. Yeah. But he, he deserted from the Italians. Mm. Uh, so he's uh, there's a lot of stereotypes in this. And one of them is that Italians change sides. Yeah. Uh, they get that one in early. And Also, he's got the most 70s haircut. He's got a big, long, sort of bushy hair. Yeah. Which you wouldn't have had in 1940, whatever. Yeah, there's years. there's a few moments like that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we, it's a bit of a romp. So you sort of... I, I feel slightly iffy about picking up all of these things. Mm. I think when, when with a romp, I don't think you need to worry too much about haircuts. No. But right. uh, there's there's the... the uh, and as a as a writer, it's, the, it's more the storytelling that, that gets me sort of worked up. There's also Television Savalis... Uh, yes give him his full name that's right that's right so it's nice to see him in a film because it's nominative determinism isn't it he's fighting against it he's he's um, get a, in a film yeah and the, to say that the performances in this are uneven would be a bit of an understatement because yeah. there's a lot of different films going on and a lot of different acting styles going on yeah um, Elliot Gould who we'll talk about in a moment who who turns up quite soon uh, is doing something very big, um, and the guy playing uh, Volkman, the uh, uh, the SS guy, yeah, is is basically like hair flick of the Gestapo. Mm-hmm. He's wearing a black coat. He's a bad Nazi. Yeah, he's a bad Nazi. Good Nazi. Yeah. Well, they they this this is something that they're very keen to point out really early yeah. on. You know, he's. Have you ever seen the uh, Smith and Jones sketch? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So for for those of you. Uh, listening to this who don't know it, it's a really, really good Smith & Jones sketch. I think it was written by Richard Preddy and Gary Howe, but I'm not sure. Oh, yeah. And 
it's all about how there are different types of Nazi generals. Yeah. And there are Nazi, there's a Nazi general who's always getting measured for a new uniform. There's Whilst a slight, listening to yeah, uh, Wagner. Classical, yes. Uh, yeah. There's a slightly pervy Nazi general. There is one who always says, when will this war end? Yeah. There, and there, there's one who before the year spent many <laughs> fine months in London and isn't really a proper Nazi. <laughs> and that's exactly the kind that Roger Moore is yep. in this. Yeah. Uh, it's we we established that he is a good German. Yeah, but he's supposed to be Swiss, though, isn't he? Oh, or Austrian or something. I, I think the, he's the, supposed to be yeah, Swiss, too, but he's got a German accent. And too much, you know, too much stuff. Anyway, for, for the, that'll do for our purposes. He's got Lotto Hecht. I yeah. think he's 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 German enough. Yeah, at least for this. Hmm. So there they all are in this prison of war camp. Meanwhile, Telly Savalis is the resistance leader. And he's got a radio, and he's talking to the outside world. And he's world. got 15 crucifixes on. He's got a lot of crucifixes. Telly is doing a completely different performance. Telly Savalis thinks he's in something very gritty, or at least thinks that's the way to play it. Yeah. And he, he does, he's actually sort of narratively drives the whole film. But mm. he, he thinks he's in, um, I don't know, Dirty Harry or something. Yes, or, he does. He thinks he's in something very different to... To what else is going on? So it's it's very jarring when we go in and out of Telly Savalas. We did miss, you know, the beginning when they're rounding up everybody who's escaped mm. from the concentration camp. Yeah, and I say that laughably because it's the worst concentration camp in the world. Oh, oh, I've got some opinions about that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but they're they're rounding everybody up. David Niven's dressed as a old Greek man with a big beard. Yes. Uh, Richard Roundtree's having a sauna. Yeah, and Sonny Bono is um, running away and tries to steal a three-wheeled car. Yeah. And then um, when he's caught, they the bad Nazi we talked about earlier... Yes. ...says, we're not going to hang you, we're going to hang this old man. Yeah. And it's quite, it goes a bit dark suddenly. It does go. And I, I just put, uh, presumably, because he'd, he'd had a piece of halibut that was good enough for Jehovah. <laughs> That's all I could think of. <laughs> this old man's sitting there just having a drink. Mm. I'm like, we're going to hang you. And the old man's just like, oh, all right. Yeah, <laughs> and they hang him, and everyone's just like, "Oh, Tony Savalas breaks a bottle because he's so angry about it." Yeah, with his bare hands, because he's, he's bare hands. He's, he's tough and hard. But yeah, all the prisoners get taken back to the camp, as you say, and Roger Moore is quite willing to just confine them to their quarters for escaping. Yeah, but bad Nazi says they should be put in the grill under the floor. Yeah, as a punishment. Yeah, uh, and yeah, bad Nazi's running the island, and Otto, <laughs> the good Nazi, is is running the camp. Yeah, um, Otto is. Uh, smuggling artifacts to his sister in Switzerland. He's an ex-art um, art dealer. He's like Lovejoy. Yeah, yeah. So he, he's like a sort of a bent Lovejoy. Mm. Uh, but we're supposed to like him. Uh, the camp, uh, the prisoner of war camp that they're in, is absurdly badly designed. Stalag 7Z. Stalag 7Z. Yeah. Um, it has a single uh, <laughs> fence rather than a double fence. Yeah. It's on the coast, so you can literally walk onto the beach... From the camp, yeah, um, the are uh, it's very rugged terrain around it. It's of cliffs surrounding it, so terrible lines of sight from mm-hmm. the uh, from the watchtowers. All of these are going to be problems for the Germans later. Yeah, um, there's a lot of places to hide, yes. and you can seem to be able to get in and out of the thing really easily. The Germans are pushovers in this film, really absolute pushovers. Yeah, it's basically like. It is Maplins. Yeah. If the Nazis did a Maplins, yes. this is it. It's just- so, when, when we get this, this pile of characters, yeah. uh, and we sort of establish that they're digging for, for artefacts or something, mm. then along come uh, the two other main characters. Out of There's a lot of characters in this film. Out of a USO show? Yes. Uh, they are called Charlie and Dottie. 
and Dottie is Dottie Delmar, yeah, which is a nice sort of uh, sexy name. It is um, Stephanie Powers, who I think later on is Jennifer Hart in Heart to Heart. I was going to say, yeah, yeah. About, about four years after this, this film could do with Max, couldn't it? Uh, yes, it when could. they arrived at the camp, it was Moida. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, uh, also Charlie, played by Elliot Gould, who's good in other things. He's in Mash and he's in Ocean's Eleven. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think he's very very badly served in this. He's supposed to be a comedian. Mm-hmm. He's supposed to be the comic relief, and with the lines that he has to deliver are really poor. <laughs> I suspect as well. I know Elliot Gould has t- said this himself. He had drug problems. Oh, did he? I suspect this is at the height of his drug problems. All right. Well, he's certainly quite hyped up in all the scenes. Very. So one suspects that he's a little bit stimulated. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's why he's so OTT in I this. I think so. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I just thought that he was uh, trying to give it his all. But no, he's high. Okay, fine. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> there's something heroic about the performance because there's such unfunny lines that he has to deliver. But he seems to do it with total conviction. This is if Groucho Marx got sent to a con- uh, Maplin's concentration camp. Yeah. And was just wandering well, around. Well, it's not a concentration camp. I think we, sh- that we should say oh, that. Right, yeah, it's a prisoner of war camp. Yes. So it's a, it's a holiday camp. Yeah. And if he was just wandering around constantly dropping one-liners, but, ha- but not being very good one-liners. Yeah. Everything he says is a joke, mm. but it's not funny. Yeah, that's that's the thing. They are very much joke impressions. And the, the one joke that he really has is pretending that the prisoner of war camp is a nice hotel. Yeah. That's it. All the jokes are, are that. I'll see you in reception over we'll and over for dinner. Se- at least twice in this film, people say, will you just stop? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think Richard Roundtree does it twice. And you think, yeah, Tony Savannah says it later, but in such a way as to say, "I'm going to fucking kill you." If you yeah, don't they've up. all, and yeah, and you believe he would too because mm. he looks rock hard in this. Yeah. Incidentally, hmm. there are at least two people in this film who served in the Second World War. Who? David Niven. David Niven. Yeah. Telly Savalas. I once bought for a plane journey a, a biography of Telly Savalas. Did he you? apparently lied about his age to get in the army? Where did he say? Was he American? Or yeah, was he... American. Yeah. yeah, but he was too young to be in the army. But he lied about it because he wanted hmm. to join up. And it set me thinking, what was the last time that someone who had served in the Second World War in the armed forces was in a film in a combat role? Because here here we have like two fighters in the film who were in the war. But when was the last time that that happened? Well, apart from David Niven, who did it quite a few times. Yeah, I I have. (laughs) The latest that I can think of is 2005. Oh, who's that? Ah, I won't say until the end of the podcast. You'll have to think about it. No, I'm not going to say. 2005. So this is someone fighting in a fighting role in a film, in a combat role, who also was in the Second World War, 60 years after the war ended. Will you tell us at the end? I will tell you at the end. All right, let's leave it at that. Yeah. It's good. Mystery. Um, So, yeah. Yeah, So they they turn up. They've been in a plane crash, and they are entertainers. They are entertaining the troops, but they got crashed and captured by the Germans. No hint when they turn up that they've been in some kind of traumatic experience, like a plane crash. The rest of the crew seem to be dead. Also, Elliot Gould (laughs) is Jewish. They say that a couple of times, and he's fine. Uh, Suddenly the Nazis are very lax on Jews. Uh, well, he it is alluded to later on that he's being protected by Otto. That but we don't the, know that initially, do we? No, we don't know that initially, no. But there's, <clears throat> the, the, the thing that he might be taken to an actual real concentration camp is sort of dealt with in a light, airy way. Yeah. <laughs> that goes, it's just one of the things in the film that make you go, oh, really? Yeah. Oh, no, that, that, that feels wrong. But Stephanie Powers has been sent to the guest house because Roger fancies her. Yes. But Elliot's sent to general population. Yeah. 
And the the when she turns up, that's when the misogyny begins. Mm-hmm. Because there's stuff in this film that you just go, really? What do you mean, like, you have nice thighs? Well, well, there's a scene where Otto, who runs the camp, hmm. comes onto her and touches her thighs and says, you have nice thighs. And mm-hmm. it's, uh, you know, it, it's just very, very creepy. And he's misusing his role as, as the person who Well, she basically says, you can shag me if you want. Yeah. That's fine. And then when he starts kissing her and she doesn't respond passionately, yeah. he's like, oh, well, this isn't doing it for me. See you later. Yeah, I mean, there's... Every moment in this film, except for one, um, women are portrayed as, as being sex dispensers. And they're either, they're either faulty sex dispensers because they don't dispense sex. Yes. Or they're too ugly to dispense sex. Or they're good sex dispensers, in which case they, they, they uh, give sex to the men. But there, there's no point in this film. No, I'm lying. But there's very few points where, where women aren't just that. No. It's, it's a very much... Oh, it, it it comes. That's, it's the worst part of the film. That yeah, <laughs> of all the bad parts, it is, it is. <laughs> and it's weird seeing Roger. I mean, I know we've seen Roger Moore being in a misogynist role before. Yeah, but you haven't seen him being creepy before. Yeah, yeah. So uh, particularly thing. someone who's supposed to be a, a one of the sympathetic characters, one of the gang. Yeah, and especially as how it turns out in the end, you'd want them to have a natural romance rather than this kind of. Yeah, I am, yeah. I am commandant. You will have yeah. sex. He's basically Ray finds in Schindler's list. Yeah, so they have they have a romance, but it's a bit of a wrong romance. Uh, but then we also find out that although the prisoners are excavating antiques, yeah, because they know there's a certain life cycle to this job, yeah, they're also burying antiques so they can find them again to yeah. keep the role going. Yeah, which means that the Germans are like some of them are in on it, and some of them just don't notice that the shelves keep. Uh, well, Mr. The, Bronson notices, doesn't he? Yeah, he says, well, "Did you find this he yesterday?" He suspects it, but he yeah. he doesn't actually rumble it. It no. seems to me that it would be the easiest scheme to to rumble mm. this, but he he doesn't quite do it. But David Niven says to him, "Oh, this is one of a brother or sister." Yeah, yeah. David Niven is doing a perfectly fine performance in this. I mean, yeah, he's he's character doesn't really have to do a lot. He's called the professor, mm-hmm. and he just has to come in and talk like David Niven every now and again. And you get the impression that he had a nice few weeks. They well, just it said, like some weather. Didn't they it? just go, oh, you know, David, you'll you'll get to go to this Greek island and uh, you'll uh, you know have some cocktails every now and again with Roger Moore and Telly Zabalis. Oh, yeah, I've met them before, lovely fellas. There's yes, one scene in this film that. where they're literally all sat in chairs by the sea drinking cocktails. Yeah, and you think that's probably what it was like most yeah. of the time. <laughs> yeah. But um, so they'll keep burying the artifacts again, so they never find out. Elliot Gould. Has agreed with Roger Moore that he's going to put on shows. Yes, to entertain the troops. Yeah, and Roger Moore says to him, "I like you." Yeah, yeah, and uh, and then he says, "I'd like to ask you a question. What do you know about the word oomph?" And there's a whole weird bit. Yeah, where he's asking about how do you get oomph? Yeah, I don't really know. I, no. I, I sort of wasn't. I couldn't quite follow what the hell was going on there. But he's basically saying to him, you know, oomph means pizzazz. Yeah, and he explains to him. How you have to be more passionate with women. Yes. Well, one of the messages of the film, uh, and this comes in right at the end as well in quite a big way, um, is that Greeks are good at sex. Yeah. And Germans are crap at sex. Yeah. And humour. Yeah. Otto is an unusual German in that he learns how to be good at sex. But the rest of the Germans, as portrayed in this film, are either ugly or idiots. Or perverts. (laughs) Or perverts. Yeah. Did you notice at one point when they're walking around the camp, and it's the bit where Sonny Bono accidentally, accidentally on purpose, puts potato peels all over a German's foot. Yes. The graffiti in the background says, fuck Hitler. I didn't see that. And someone's obscuring the F 
So it says, Uck Hitler. Oh, right. No, I didn't spot that. What kind of concentration camp would allow someone to write, fuck Hitler? Prisoner of war camp. Prisoner of war camp. (laughs) But what prisoner of war camp would allow graffiti saying, fuck Hitler? A lax, useless one. I mean, I like to think that in the few... In the maybe the eight months that the Third Reich had after the events of this film, I like to think there was a good inquiry about some of the lapses of concentration which caused these events. Roger to Moore is effectively playing Jeffrey Fairbrother. Yeah, and I want letters from Hitler, i.e., Joe Maplin. Yes, saying write you horrible lot. Yeah, etc. Because this is a terribly run camp. Yeah. So Rog, Roger tells Elliot that he wants. The treasure in the monastery. Yes. That's where the real gold there, is. There is about five different German installations on this island. Hmm. And you gradually just have to pick up what, what they are. The Athena in the title is mm-hmm. is a monastery on the top of the hill. And that's where the ending's going to take place. Yes. So everyone starts talking about the treasure around about this point. That, that you know, they're, they're sort of hunting like a group of pirates. Uh, but the, this is where the, the, the title doesn't yes, work. You can't doesn't es- work. You can't escape to something. You have to escape from something. Mm-hmm. You escape from Stalaglov 3. You escape from Kolditz. You escape from Alcatraz. Escape to Athena. Mm-hmm. Well, no. It doesn't make any sense. No. Also, as we'll see, no one ever escapes in this film. No. Uh, but that, this, is, this is what they're now going to do. Because I think by about this point, uh, the, you're David Niven and you're Telly Savalas. Uh, Zeno, that's the name of Taylor Savannah's character. Yes. And Niven's the professor. The prof and Zeno have been talking because the resistance just talk to the prisoners all the time. Because of course they do. It's, this, <laughs> it's a shit camp. This camp's just not run by anybody with any kind of competency. Um, there's a scheme to, for the prisoners to take over the camp. Yeah. And this, this is where the other way that the title goes wrong is that no one escapes. No. It's a takeover. Yeah. It's not an escape at all. Uh, so a plan is hatched to do this. And Charlie and Dottie are going to put on a show. Also with Richard Roundtree, Shaft, are doing close-up magic. Because that's his skill. That's his skill. His, his skill is close-up magic. You should but, say as well, Telly Savalis is uh, broadcasting from a brothel. Yeah. Who his, girl, his girlfriend runs as the madam. That's right. He's played by Claudia Carnaval? Uh, uh, Claudia Cardinal. Cardinal, sorry. And, um, yeah, there's, there's little vans going around broadcasting, aren't there? Little... Yeah, beep, 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 Morse code vans. That yeah, are so he's he's always talking to the allies about this stuff. He's really the most important character in the film. Yes, Telly Savalas by by yeah. a distance, but you don't really know at this point. Uh, so the scheme is to to take the prison camp over. So while this show is going on, but however, something's happened we haven't mentioned. Oh yes, Telly Savalas kills a high ranking nurse, nurse, yeah. Nazi general. <laughs> yeah, which which means that the, the bad Nazi says. Whoever, if no one, he kills a prostitute, yeah, like Jack the Ripper would, mm. or Sutcliffe, and then he says, um, if if no one confesses to this crime within twenty four hours, I think, yeah. we're going to kill ten random people. Yes. So Teddy Savalas is quite keen to move operations further. Yeah, to make sure that doesn't it's, happen. It's just one of the ways this film gets confused in the middle because there's, yeah. there's so many objectives that the characters have that you you get a bit tied up. So yeah, mm. there's there's a ticking clock. Yeah, that's the ticking clock. Uh, so while this show is going on, yeah, uh, the idea is that Telly's Vallis and his friends are are going to and Sonny Bono puts Socrates' revenge. Oh, that's right. In yes, the stew. So, so, Sonny Bono puts something to make the Germans all, all shit in the stew. Mm-hmm. Uh, not in the stew. Yeah, shit, no, shit, yeah, not shit in the stew. But he, no. yeah, they they all they all run to the toilets. Yeah, uh, and so while some of them are shitting and mm-hmm. and the rest of them are watching this show. Telly Savalis and the resistance are going to storm the camp. He literally drives up to the front door yeah. 
with a dead Nazi. Yeah. Says, oh, I accidentally run him over, shoots one bloke, and then he's in the camp. That's right. Yeah. Uh, and the Nazis watching the show <laughs> just put all their rifles to one side. That's right. Not only that, the, the show doesn't seem to be in the camp itself. It seems right. to be on a beach. Mm-hmm. So you've got actual prisoners behind a curtain out of view of the Nazis. Like, yeah. One of them could be legging it away. Yeah. They don't know that. No. And what we are now subjected to at this point in the film, while, while we're intercutting with, with Telly kind of killing people, which he does a lot of, hmm. um, is the show itself, which is fucking painful. It really is. <laughs> so it's, get, like, it's like a bad dream. Stephanie Powers doing a little sexy dance. Yeah, well, before that, is the, the worst part of it is watching Elliot Gould do some, uh, telling some jokes and, and, tap dancing. and tap dancing. And his jokes are dying to that audience. And also, presumably, to the cinema audience. Well, they very thankfully just show us the punchline, don't they? And he says, yeah. oh, I like the third guy with the hair. And then he explains, he goes, what I mean is they thought it yeah. was a bear. So he, he's a terrible comedian. And also, yeah. he's, he's talking in English to a bunch of Germans, so presumably most of them don't understand it. Although, the language divides in this film, they just don't worry about. Roger likes the joke, though. He goes, ha, ha, ha. Yeah, because he's the, he's the different he's German. nice German. So then that part of the act is dying so then Dottie Delmar comes out mm. and she strips uh, to, to a bit of a song and this turns the Germans into sort of moronic sex chimps Mr Bronson particularly yeah. like Mr. Mr Bronson just uh, claps his hands and goes oh, 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 oh. Uh, but Roger doesn't like it no because he's thinking this lady's my love. That's yeah. She's the love of my life that yeah. I've just sort of seduced in this camp. Sexually assaulted. Seduced, stroke sexually. No, she's all right now. They're now an item. Oh yeah, they're now an yeah, item. It's, yeah, it's they've had scenes to cover that. Hmm. Uh, so the Germans are reduced to a bunch of total idiots. Yeah. In you know, it would look if you wrote it into horrible histories or something, you'd say, well, that's too unrealistic. Yeah. No, it, it's no. That's that's clearly crossing a, a believability so line. So they're watching a strip tease and putting their guns to one side, yeah. and they're going to the toilet, and leaving in, their guns outside. Yeah. And meanwhile, in yeah, so it's all very carry on. Maybe mm. yeah. I think somebody even faints because she's sexy. One of the sentries faints. You're right. Does yeah, be. and that this is like getting on to like seventies, like mid seventies carry on stuff. Meanwhile, in the other film, mm-hmm. gritty Telly Savalas yeah. is machine gunning people. <laughs> yeah. And it's a bit of a mismatch. Yeah. So the result of all this is that they seize control of the camp. Well, you forgot about Shaft's close-up magic. Oh, yeah, which that's is an right. amazing trick. That's right. He gets Mr. Bronson on stage yeah. and says, I'm going to you, who has been rendered an idiotic sex chimp by a quivering by mound of dust. love pulling. Yeah, he, he's, yeah. he's such a quivering mound of love pulling that all his faculties have left him. And the prisoner says, right, I'm going to do a magic trick where I can take your gun. And he goes, yeah, really? Oh, come on, then, come on, take my gun. And he takes his gun. Yeah. Uh, none of the... And then Niven comes out from behind the curtains with yeah, a machine gun. With a machine says, gun. Nobody move. Yeah, and none of the Germans have got a sidearm on them. No. Nope. Which I imagine they are supposed to have all the time. Uh, and But everyone's... Um, Everyone's happy now. The 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 allies and and the resistance haven't lost a, a man or woman, uh, and, and they've seized the cap. But there's a conversation here that I'm confused about because yeah. they say we should kill Roger. Yeah, and then they say no, no, we should spare him to <clears throat> get the message out that the status quo is okay. Yes. Does they kill the other Nazis? We never see Mr. Bronson again. Oh, some of them are just sort of lined up. I think you can assume that they are being kept prisoner for the duration of the film. I'm just hoping Mr. Bronson didn't get killed. Uh, I can't remember if he turns up again or not. No, he doesn't. All right. Oh, well, no. or they throw him down the well or something. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs>
Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy, Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. But Rod agrees, basically, to bro- send out a broadcast to Bad Nazi. Yes. Saying, everything's fine in the camp, don't worry. Yeah. So, outside on this island, they now have to take not one, but two installations simultaneously. Yeah. This is where it gets confused. Yeah. They, they, so, they have to seize control of the village. Mm-hmm. Without, via the brothel. Via, via the brothel, without the wider Nazi world knowing about it. Yeah. And they also have to seize uh, some sort of beachside place. David Niven's doing that. So, but it's the refueling depot for the submarines. No, that's not the refueling depot for the submarines. That's the bit from which they can see the refueling depot for the submarines. Oh, you're right. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So they have to seize two places to get a third place, and we're yeah. not even on to like the the, no. the next place. No. Um, and then there's a fight sequence, which again is is quite gritty. Um, uh, Alina, who runs the brothel, she machine guns quite a lot of people. Yeah. So, yeah, here's, here's women taking charge here. I mean, by this point, they've watched Star Wars. Mm-hmm. So they've seen the fact that Princess Leia shoots people and everyone liked it when she gets a gun out in Star Wars. So that, that probably made them think, oh, yeah, it's, it's okay to have the woman having Is this gun when they're here. about to execute the 10 people? Uh, yeah, that's around, around that point, yes. Yeah. So the 10 people get saved. Hmm. And uh, our, our friends are now seizing the, the village. But what they have to do is to make sure that uh, no message gets out yes. to the rest of the world. <clears throat> and so one of the Nazis, I don't know which one, uh, gets on a motorbike. The bad Nazi. Bad Nazi, yeah. The, yeah. the worst Nazi. The worst I think one. he's Volkman. Yeah. Uh, he gets on this motorbike and is chased by uh, Charlie, the comedian, yeah. on another motorbike. And this is one of the best motorbike chases you'll ever see. Yeah. It's absolutely brilliant. If it wasn't in a Bulls film like this, if it was in Bullet or something, mm. or if it was in, um, I don't know, a Clint Eastwood film, yeah. you'd go, oh, wow, this is a classic. Mm. This is a classic. And so my, my, I couldn't believe what I was seeing after all this crap mm-hmm. for 40 minutes. <laughs> yeah, you get this wonderful scene where he's going down a narrow, narrow alleyway and yes. the handlebars literally yeah. knocking the wall Yeah, out. it's brilliantly edited mm. and brilliantly uh, uh, staged... And if it wasn't like that stupid Charlie character doing it, it would be really much more exciting. And before that, you get the best scene in the whole film, which is a sniper. Yeah. You see him from the camera's just behind his shoulder, and he's taking people out. Mm. 
and then when they le- they shoot at him, yeah. it transpires he's literally standing on the ledge. That, oh, that's right. He's tower. not really covered. Yeah, you well, think you'd get some cover if you were a sniper. What they have in this film is a stunt man with a speciality. Yes, they do. And the, his speciality is falling forward from very high heights, mm-hmm. spinning a couple of times in the into the air and landing on a mat yeah. that is slightly out of view. And we'll see that happen like four times in this film. At least, and yeah. by God, he's good at it. He is, but uh, it, diminishing returns. Yeah, it's like the helicopter shots. Yeah. Diminishing returns. Uh, also, this film should have been called Diminishing Returns. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And another thing that makes the bike chase work really well is it's one of those ones where it's just the noises of the machine. Yes, no music. And it doesn't have the music on it. The music in this film sucks quite badly because... It's, nice. it's Lalo, it's Lalo Schifrin. Is it? Who did uh, Bullet and oh, Dirty right. Harry. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Because I've, I've watched Dirty Harry very recently. It's really good. Mm. But not this. No. It's very, very zither and bazooki heavy. Yeah. At, I mean, I like the bazookies. I really do. But by the end of this film, I did not want to hear another bazooki <laughs> again for some time. And the theme that keeps turning up is uh, when the Saints come marching in. Yes. You you hear this played by full orchestra. You also hear very slow bazooki versions of when the Saints come marching in. Why they chose that, I don't know. It's It doesn't really say anything about no. what they're doing. But it's, it's the tune they decided that you wanted. Yeah. Uh, so by God, you get it enough times. So by this point in the film, they've see they've seized the prisoner of war camp number one. They've seized the town number two. Mm-hmm. They've seized the another little uh, military outpost number three. So now, not content with that, they have to now talk about seizing another two outposts <laughs> on the island. Well, you've skipped over the women's. They seize the uh, submarine place. Uh, no, no, that's the- one of the two places. Oh, okay. Yeah. So they. They have to do two things. There's going to be, we hear from Telly Savalis, uh, an allied invasion quite soon. Yeah. And so there's uh, there's a couple of things that they need to do to deal with that. One of them is to uh, take out uh, a fuel depot that's used by U-boats. And that is going to be the job of Dottie Del Mar uh, and Roger Moore. I'm mixing up the names now of the real names. Of the, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, fine. That, that's, you, you We're just with have, you. You have to keep saying Roger Moore. Mm-hmm. Uh, so because they're, they're a couple now, so they're very coupley. Very. So they say they just decide that they're going to do this. She's also got a, like little uniform that she wears now, like little hot pants with a shirt tied up at the. Yeah. Well, you do see her turning up with a suitcase that she salvaged from the uh, air crash. Did Charlie turn up with the suitcase? Yes, he did. <clears throat> yes, I noticed the, he's got his New York Yankees cap. Yeah, uh, yeah. And a jumper with C on it. And and, and his uh, Stars and Stripes waistcoat. Now, yeah. I did wonder where all that came from, and then I realised, though, that is one of the things that this film actually manages to cover. Good. We also forgot to mention that when they do arrive at camp, yeah. our escapees are down a little hole where they can see through the... Oh, that's right. There's upskirt stuff. And Stephanie yeah. Powers is standing over them, and Sonny Bonner says something like, <laughs> Mamma mia! <laughs> Yeah, uh, there's there's a bit uh, where Telly Savalas goes on typical Italians or yeah. something like that. It's he. What do we think of Sonny Bono in this? Uh, we, he doesn't get a lot to do. No, uh, he gets told he's a shit cook. He uh, gets told off for changing sides and and also for for letching after women. But that's all that any man does in this film. Yeah, that's that's their only. In his job. defense, when he said he's a shit cook, he says, "I'm not a cook. Yeah, I'm Italian, so they made me cook." <laughs> So that's fair enough. Yeah, well, he doesn't really get a lot to do, and nor does Shaft. No. Uh, they, they're very much kind of bubbling under in the background. But it's like Richard Roundtree's direction in this film was just do Shaft. Yeah. Just dress like your Shaft. Because although he's wearing an army uniform, he could be from 1975. Yes. 
He's even got a slight afro. Yeah. And he's very much like, I don't give a fuck. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's, he's doing As what he say, needs to do. As you say, one of the best things in it because he's a real kind of macho performance and everyone else is a bit all over the place. Yeah. He doesn't get nearly enough action to do. No. Uh, Charlie gets more action. And, and he's yes. not an action actor, whatever no. he is. He's a, he's a comic actor. When you talk about the chase with, um, on the motorbikes, yeah. when he eventually finds the uh, bad Nazi, yeah. the scene when he has to kill him is very undramatic, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. Because he's, <clears throat> he's chasing this bad Nazi in order to stop the bad Nazi getting on the radio yeah. and telling all the other Nazis in Nazi world what's happening on this island. So he's, the, he's a comedian, right? Mm-hmm. And he's in a, what's supposed to be a comedy action film. Yeah. And he successfully machine guns the guy just before he sends the message. How about a zinger? Yeah. No zinger. No. It's absolute sitter and nailed on sitter for where you should have a funny line and he doesn't Sorry do it. I cut you off. Yeah, yeah exactly. Sorry, no, no. Yeah. And that's just off the top of your head. Yeah. Yeah, um, just a, or a callback or any something, anything. Mm. Mm. Uh, but it's not there. There's, it, needed, it needed a gag pass. This really did. It really did, but it didn't get it. Um, so, so, so as we sort of propel ourselves towards the like the the sort of the third act in this, mm. there's actually two stories going on. One is the 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 one with uh, Dottie and Roger, where they've got to take out the fuel depot. So, this is where something that has been mentioned early on, so you knew it was going to be important later, oh, yes. becomes very important, which is the fact that uh, Dottie is a great swimmer. Or as Elliot Gould said, a schwimmer. A schwimmer. She's yeah. a great schwimmer. Yeah. Uh, so uh, David Niven, in his, possibly his last bit in the film where he really says anything. Yeah. Because <laughs> he's taking it very easy. Yeah. Uh, he says, well, if you could, could you swim about 18 feet underwater and, uh, and attach some limpet mines? And I'm thinking, you don't need to do that. You just need to blow up the fuel on the shore. This is dead easy. Yeah. I could do this. Mm-hmm. You just, you just like, let all the pumps out and then, and then like, petrol bomb the thing. Mm-hmm. But no, they have to have her swimming yeah. because then she can uh, get on some sort of sexy swimming gear. Yep. And so she goes down to attach some limpet mines. And while she's doing this, some German frogmen, fuck knows where they came well, from. Well, they, they, yeah, they, they just they came up out of the water menacingly. They went back underneath. Yeah, they breed down there. Yeah. They, they're clearly like these, sub, these aquatic creatures that breed. Like the family nests. Yeah, that breed underwater. The they're, they're actually like evil, evil Nazi monsters that, yeah. that have gills. Because mm. <laughs> it's never explained yeah. where they come from or why they know anything's wrong. Creatures from the Black Forest Lagoon. That's right. Yeah. So they, they give us some underwater jeopardy. And uh, she is helped out by Otto at this point. Otto, is, by now, has completely gone over to the Allies. Yeah, he's basically James Bond because he's stopped wearing the hat. Yep. Because at the beginning when he's wearing the Nazi hat, you're thinking, yeah. well, that's Roger Moore playing a Nazi. Yes. Hat comes off, leather jacket, you're like, well, that's James Bond. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, another thing they do to mark him out as being a good Nazi <laughs> is, oh, of course, his, his uniform doesn't look like the other ones. It's a little lighter in colour. He's got a little bomber jacket on. He little, he's got a little bomber jacket. And also, he doesn't salute. Yeah, yeah, that's the big one. Is all the other Germans, like it's like the proper hair flick stuff. They click their heels together and they and they throw their arm out. And he does this little kind of... Just uh, he does a normal... He's like Sam Kelly in a lower low. Clomp, yeah. yeah. He, he, and so They're you know, doing the full Heil yeah. Hitler. He does a... Sorry, I did that. Yeah. And he just does a normal American type salute. Yeah. So we're, we're sat here to throw salutes at each other that you can't sorry, see. Sorry, I literally half hit it then. I'm really sorry. <laughs> sorry, only I saw it. In this day and age, it's the worst thing. What oh, if no. someone over the road saw me doing that? Oh, yeah. I thought, oh, they're doing a Nazi podcast yeah. in there. <laughs> we're talking about how we haven't got any free speech, ladies and gentlemen. There is actually a bloke at the window over there. Oh. Jesus. All right. Okay. 
Keep it, keep it down. We haven't keep got free down. speech. All right. That's right. Um, so yeah. So, yeah, so, 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 they, so now they, there is an explosion there. Though they managed to blow up the thing, but it's not much to do with the main story no. of the ending. It's really completely unconnected, and this is one of the odd bits where the film doesn't hang together because their biggest star in this is Roger Moore. Yeah, I've looked at the poster. Mm-hmm. Roger is the biggest head. Right. right, he's in the middle. He's the biggest star. He's James Bond. Yeah, he's clearly bigger than everyone else. Yet. He's not around for the climax of this film because he's no. doing subplot. And the even the slogan on the film is weird because it says, the Patriot, the Professor, the Comic and the Stripper were fighting for what they believed in, getting rich. So that's a list of four characters. None of them is Roger Moore's character. No. That's fucked I, up. I don't suppose you can put the Nazi. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for what they believed in, being getting rich, brackets, and... Yeah. Genocide. And, and, and also, also the 9,000 other things that they're trying to achieve in this film. Yeah. Uh, but what the real main event uh, for for the for the last act is now we now we get onto our fifth different Nazi installation yeah. that has to be infiltrated and taken over. It's a monastery. It's a monastery. It's the Athena but monastery. Telly lies to them, doesn't he? Telly lies. Telly has been saying to them for a long time that there are special treasures up there. There's some gold plates which are extremely valuable. They're the two-headed and, eagle. Yeah, and they're the property of the Greek people, and mm. no one can ever loot them. But yeah. by the way, there are these plates up there, and they're really valuable. Most of our characters are thinking, well, we could get rich by getting up there, because they're all quite mercenary. Mm. Uh, and so once they've taken over the town and the, and the fuel depot's blown up and everything, they're going, look, Telly, Telly Savalis, Telly, Telly, can we go up there and steal the plates now? Can we steal the plates? Can we steal the plates? Telly Savalis, who increasingly sounds like Top Cat as the film goes on. And once I, once I heard that, I couldn't get it out of my head. That's very good. <laughs> um, <laughs> he says, uh, well, all right, then let's go up there. Yeah. None of them smell a rat. No. The fact that he's been telling them that they can't steal these plates. And he's now saying, let's go and steal the plates. What he's actually doing is trying to co-opt them without their knowledge into his own mission which is to go up there and disable the Nazi installation mm. that's in the monastery that he hasn't entirely told them about. they got a super rocket. Well, here's, here's where the, the genre of the film kind of changes because they go into what's very much a, a James Bond world mm. for the last bit. Uh, and it hasn't quite been adequately set up, but there is a secret base... Uh, in the monastery, yeah. up on the hills. Like in For Your Eyes Only. Yeah, and yeah. That, that has, or, or Moonraker, mm-hmm. and it has this radar dish concealed as a clock, mm-hmm. and that's that's quite gadgety and bondy. Yeah. And there's a threat up there. There's something which they have to take out. And it's nothing to do with the plates, which is all a decoy by Telly Savalis. What is going on up there is that they've got a V2 rocket, and the Allied fleet is approaching the island and is going to liberate the island. The idea is that when this V2 rocket is launched at that fleet, it will knock that fleet out. Yeah. Boom. They're all going to be gone. And everyone talks this up. Ooh, what a powerful rocket. Mm. Now, if you know a single thing about V2 rockets, you know that this is completely preposterous. Why? Well, a V2 rocket was actually an incredibly inefficient delivery system that the Germans invented because it's, it couldn't, they couldn't aim it. That sort of stuff was absolutely in its infancy. Hmm. Once it fired off, it had a gyroscope to sort of keep it in range. But only about half of them fell within... Let's see, I've got the stats on this. I did, I did the maths. Half of V2s fell within 4.5 kilometres of the intended target. 
they would go about 150 miles and then they would land not on a sixpence. They would land in a wide area. Mm. So if they were, when they had them in Belgium and they were shooting at London, a lot of the time they would miss London altogether, right? The blast radius of a V2 rocket is 180 meters. Towards the outside of that radius, you're not, you, you, you'll get maybe injured, but you won't actually get completely blown up. So they don't make a very big bang hmm. for how far they go. So I, I did the maths. Wonderful. So I figured out, well, what would happen if you, you had a fleet of 50 ships, uh, which would be more than enough to take this island? Hmm. Uh, they'd probably be sending a lot less. Travelling within a circle with a radius of 4.5 kilometres and you're firing one V2 rocket at them, uh-huh. I calculated that the chances of a single ship out of all of those ships receiving any damage at all is less than one in 30. Wow. These are good odds. They are good odds. These are fine. I should say Andy's brought up very many notes. Yeah, no, I've done, I've done the maths. I like it. I've done the maths. So what they need, all they need to do is just forget about it. Mm. The the Royal Navy in 1944, 1945, they'd take those odds. Uh, But we have to pretend for, for... You're talking about Gary Oldman's Navy, aren't you? Gary, oh yeah, Gary Oldman's Navy. Yes, that he's sending. Yeah. Uh, uh, and all the other, all the other screen Churchills. Yeah. Uh, also, um, uh, what's his face is in the Crown. All of those Churchills together. All in John room. Lithgow. Yeah, no. John Lithgow. Yeah, John, John Lithgow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All, all of the Churchills are in a room. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like Doctor send, Who. Sending this fleet. Yeah. But we have to pretend that it's like a nuclear missile. Yes. It. It ain't. It's it ain't. also guarded by the people from THX one one three eight. Yeah. Because this is when it gets really bondy. Mm. They. So we've got now our our crack team that Telly Savalis has assembled. Right. <laughs> He's got he he he's got his Greek resistance fighters who've yep. already been proved to be pretty useful. Yeah. Right? Including Elena at the brothel. She's quite handy with a machine gun. Um, did they come to the monastery with him? No, they're telling oh. you who goes to the monastery, right? <laughs> who does he take to the monastery? Out of all the people on the island he could take, <laughs> which is plenty. Yeah. He takes Sonny Bono, yep. who we know is useless. Yeah. Shaft, good. I would pick Shaft. I would, yeah. yeah. Um, and he takes uh, a comedian, a- and he takes Elliot Gould. He takes a comedian yeah. who to be who has proved himself to be quite good on motorbikes. Yeah, not useful in this mission. But no, yeah. not useful yeah. in this mission. And so the job of these four people is to infiltrate this monastery and and stop them uh, launching this missile. Uh, there is uh, again, like the prisoner of war camp, it's a terribly defended position. Mm-hmm. They just sort of abseil into it. They climb down yeah. a cliff. Well, they've got an electric fence, to be fair. Yeah, and they put on rubber gloves and get past that. And so that's fine. completely useless. So there's some shenanigans with disabling the radar dish and also shooting lots of people. There's quite a lot of shooting of people. And Solibono falls down, but it gets back up again. Gets back up again. Uh, Germans are shot. Other Germans, after sh- shots have been fired, are just wandering around, <laughs> having apparently not heard the shots in to the monastery. To be fair, Telly Savannah's fucking horrendously gasses a load of them. Yeah. In well, much we, the same way as they used to do at concentration. Yeah, I, I think we can... Uh, well, I, I don't... We can assume that it might be some kind of sleepy gas. Probably not. No. Yeah. Probably not. It does he, say hold your breath. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so Telly gasses a, a, a room full of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, a room full of Germans. One German activates the alarm mm. because he knows, oh, something's going on. Because they're all dead. He activates the alarm. Uh, in the control room for this installation, they go, initiate phase one. Mm. This makes no sense at all. No. Because if you're being attacked, what you do is you deal with the people attacking you. Mm-hmm. What you don't do is get out the V2 rocket and, and get ready to launch it. That makes yeah. no sense. You can't fire it at yourself. No. And actually, uh, Richard Roundtree acknowledges this. And he says, 
well, why are they getting it out now? That doesn't make any sense. Huh. That question's never answered. No. No. <laughs> and the, the the entrance of the rocket, it, uh, we we have to we have to discuss because it's the the biggest visual stunt of the film, mm-hmm. and it's completely daft. In the middle of this monastery is on the ground is this giant crucifix laid out as a huge sort of huge piece of pavement. Yeah. In the middle of this crucifix is a sort of mosaic of Christ. Yeah. And then once phase one is initiated, uh, the the crucifix rotates. Another crucifix, the, the Christ rotates. We have yeah. a, a spinning Jesus yeah. in the middle. Sort of thing you see at a gift shop. Yeah. And then yeah. you so you think, okay, so the, the missile's going to kind of come out of the ground. Yeah. It doesn't do that. It comes yeah. out of another door. It comes out of a garage. Yeah. I think they built... The that big prop of the spinning Jesus, thinking, oh, we'll bring the missile out of the ground, mm. and they, they figured out the models wouldn't work or something, and so, but they thought, well, we've already we've already bought the spinning Jesus, we've got to use it. Yeah. So it makes no difference, but it's a nice thing to see. Yeah, the spinning Christ. Yeah, it's beautiful. Out comes this V two rocket on a big trolley, and the guards don't look like Germans anymore. They they look like Federation soldiers out of Blake Seven. Yeah. Or or like THX one one three. Yeah, I think THX was a few years before this. Star yeah. Wars was big. They but thought, yeah, we'll but the, these soldiers really are straight out of the seventies. Yeah, they've yeah. got these reflective things. They they look sort of quite cool. Suddenly, Bono wants to blow it up. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Telis Vallis says no. It's full of liquid oxygen. Because it's full of, it's full of liquid oxygen or, or, or some such. Uh, and then there's some more fighting. Well, R- Roundtree goes and throws a grenade. Bearing in mind the missile room where they're doing all this from yeah. has got a cross-shaped window yes. <laughs> with no glass in it. Yeah. So he walks up to it and just lobs two grenades in. Yeah. And they all go get blown and up. And what you don't do is you don't, with, with any kind of rocketry, you don't put your control room... Uh, about 20 feet away from the vastly ex- like rocket, which could blow up on the launch pad, yeah. with a, a crucifix-shaped window with no glass in it. <laughs> it's incredibly unsafe. <laughs> They're all going to get burned to death. They all have a grenade. If this thing goes off. Yeah. Uh, so there's, there's, a bit, there's a bit more confused shooting, and it's hard to know what they're trying to do at this point. Uh, Shaft and uh, Elliot Gould are now, like, they're desperately grilling Telly Savalas, saying, where's the plates? Where's the gold plates you said were going to be here? It's like when my son wants the iPad. Yeah. Like, later, later. Yes. They keep asking, keep asking. Yeah, and they, they've already sort of, if they haven't figured out now that they're not there, they're, they're really, really thick. Mm. Um, they eventually go to, um, and f- to an empty room and, and go through some crates, and they find nothing, and they're all a little bit unhappy about it. And Tony Zavallis is trying to stop, because now the base is going to self-destruct. Well, here's the thing. One of the Germans has managed to pull a lever, which initiates the self-destruct sequence. Now, does... Uh, anything have a self-destruct sequence no. in the entire history of the world for real uh, in films think? they do but yeah not in real life yeah no. certainly not in world war Two. no uh but they've got that they've they've initiated the self-destruct sequence so the the whole launching thing has been forgotten about yeah the complete it's, they've built up this whole it might launch thing it's they they just forget about it and it's got like a special safety glass that you can't because the glass closes, so Telly Savalas can't get to the button. He, he can't. To stop he can't unswitch the switch. Yeah. Yes. He tries shooting it, and it doesn't break. Yeah. It's curious where you believe these things and where you don't. I mean, say in Alien, the entire ending of the of the film is built on the fact that this freight ship has a nuclear weapon embedded in it and a self destruct sequence. Why, why would you do that? I mean, that mm. that would be like putting one on a lorry or something. 
Lorries uh, do have nuclear weapons. Do they? Them, do they? Fair, yeah. yeah. In I, case they break down. Yeah, I, I don't. I mean, this. I'm sitting in an office now. It doesn't have a self-destruct sequence. Does it, it does actually. Oh, yeah. does it? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So I, I take it back. They're they're everywhere. Anyway, yeah. you buy it in Alien. You don't buy it here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and also, when he pulls it, you don't know that he isn't firing the missile. It's all very very confusing. And Richard Roundtree's got to liberate some monks. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's another thing. That that's like the that's like a little afterthought. Hmm. They let the monks out who've been uh, captured in their own monastery. Well, Charlie suddenly is in charge of everything and says, "If you liberate the monks, we'll share the winnings with you." Yeah. It's like well, if I was telly, I'd go, "Where the fuck have you come from?" Yeah. You've only been here five minutes. <laughs> now you're in charge. But once the the self destruct sequence has been initiated, hmm. the, most of them get out in time. Uh, Charlie only just gets out in time. There's a little bit of manufacturing. Should jeopardy. be dead. Should he, be dead. And you're, yeah, he's, there's things falling all around him, mm. and the the rocket has got like flames coming out the bottom, but it's not launching because that would be too expensive. Mm. And and you're really really hoping that he doesn't make it out. Yeah, but, you know, you you the viewer thinking, oh fuck, just let's let him die, let someone die, mm. like him especially someone needed to die in this didn't yeah they? someone needs to die nobody does yeah um, and he makes it out just in time and the Athena monastery is blown up and the plate he's holding in his hand is a Nazi a worthless Nazi plate it's the sort of thing the Daily Mail might give away yeah a picture of Hitler on it yes yeah. so there's a there's a big twist here which we've seen coming for about 40 minutes yeah, more, yeah. Uh, which is that uh, the plates that they wanted all those greedy people the plates that they wanted were hidden somewhere else yeah. and they were actually hidden at the brothel all along yeah uh, where Telly also hid his radio M- multiple uses of the brothel you see yeah. you can hide your it's like a bank you can keep your valuable stuff there uh, you can uh, uh, keep your radio there yeah. and you can go there for a shag tell you what turn, it into, a, shop. turn into a cafe and make it a sitcom yeah <laughs> Well, it, Yasu Yasu. Well, later on it becomes a museum, of course. Of course, we, we don't. Want to Which presumably that. does have a cafe. No, yeah. It's, yeah, spoilers. So now, now we're into the the end bit of the hilarious of, bit, uh, the, the the epilogue, where, mm. where everything's everything's funny and fun. Mm. Um, me and Kevin Cecil, who I write with, we have a word for these because when we started off writing, uh, we didn't know fancy words like epilogue. Mm-hmm. So to this day, we still call it the malt shop. Because in Scooby-Doo cartoons, like the original runs of Scooby-Doo yeah. from the, the 1969, they would go to the malt shop at the end and have a, have a malt, uh, and Scooby would have a big sandwich. And that was where they could sort of round up the story over the final 60 seconds. Yeah. So so we, we always use malt shop as a shorthand. This is the... Uh, yeah, so now, so now we're in the malt shop. Probably on my note somewhere it says malt shop. Because so. you've got business here where Elliot Gould's talking to one monk who's not really listening to him and he's yeah. going, oh, I'll share it all with you. Just tell me where the treasure is. Yeah, they're still after the fucking treasure, these And who else characters. is doing it? David Niven's doing David Niven's still after the treasure. Uh, Shaft's after the treasure. Sonny yeah. Bonner's after the treasure. But they're not going to get it, clearly. And Rog goes with Dolly to a brothel. Yeah. Tell, tell, tell he has uh, and Elena have achieved everything they set out to do. Hmm. Um, Charlie. Oh, and Telly and, uh, and and his girlfriend do a, a Greek dance. Well, yeah, they they do a little dance, and this is where it's like Mamma Mia. Mm. Um, and the he says in his top cat voice, just Telly. <laughs> he goes, uh, so I suppose you'll be giving up the, uh, <laughs> the 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 prostitution business or something. And um, she says, uh, well, the thing is that it'll just be Greeks, and Greeks don't pay. So this is the message of the director whose name is George P. Cosmatos yeah. is that Greeks don't pay for sex. Yeah. He's basically using, I think, in this film, Telly Savalas as a sort of proxy for himself. And uh, make, on him. and making sure that the film is written that way. 
clobbering the writers going no make make the greek make the greek guy look really sexy at the end and they do a little dance that doesn't work though does it what do you think about telly's moves do you think they're good no okay he's he's moving in the way that a sort of a chunky guy in his 50s would move when asked to do a dance at the climax of a film he's he's all right hmm. he's all right she's not much better um uh but but then everyone in the square joins in yeah it's it's nice it's 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 like the end of Strictly Ballroom. It's a it's a nice happy thing to end on. Meanwhile, it's like the end of Groundhog Day. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's it's alright. Yeah, everyone has a, the Nazis are Nazis are dead. Everyone dance, hmm. and they don't dance to when the Saints come marching in. Which at this point, I was thinking, well, I'm, that's that's good. Enough. I don't yeah. want to hear that again. Yeah. Meanwhile, the the with resolutions breaking out all over the place, Charlie is sat in what is presumably no longer a brothel mm-hmm. on his own, and he's really annoyed because his his act partner uh, Dottie now seems to be like so into Roger Moore that she's not interested in being an act with him anymore yeah he says I've lost my partner yeah I've lost my partner but and, and they're not they don't have a sexual relationship uh, for no. some reason that's never that's sort of never quite explained but it's alluded to yeah sort of thing yeah and uh, Otto says ah oh, but no you're gaining a partner because we're uh, us three are going to go into business together yeah and the plan is that all of Otto's treasures that he's been sending to Switzerland uh, for some years, they're going to make fakes of them, which Dottie and Charlie are going to sell in the USA. So they're going to just become career forgers. And their company is going to be called Golden Oldies. Yeah. Which uh, Charlie loves. Yeah. Uh, and th- so this, this is happy. But of course, actually, what they're doing is defrauding people. Mm-hmm. So what I really wanted was, at the end of the film, something to come up, just a message, a caption saying... They all went on to serve 10 years in prison for fraud and yeah. forgery. Yeah. <laughs> but what we do get is a shot of, uh, in 1979, a modern Greece where they filmed all this stuff. Yeah. To show that life, you know, is back to normal. Yeah, they show you funky modern Greece. They show you the we same funky square. funky music. The same square we saw earlier. Funk, uh, 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 some sort of funk music, but it still has bazookis on. Yeah. Uh, and and a, a voiceover, which is a tour guide, telling us that uh, the museum is, uh, so the brothel has now been turned into a museum and it's displaying the, the, the plates I really really wanted at this point more than anything to see an old age Roger Moore make up yeah just walk out and be like oh and be a tour guide this is where it all happened it was absolute absolutely sitter for that for one of the characters yeah. to come in older mm. and, and do that it didn't happen presumably because everyone had gone home on the plane presumably everyone going to fuck this I'm going home <laughs> Do you want to come back and do the editing? No. Yeah, that, well, that's just one of the one of the moments in this film where they had a, an opportunity to just just make things a little tighter and never quite did. I mean, as a writer, I, when I look at all of this, I sort of see the the meetings. The film was, I don't think, clearly conceived. And if something isn't clearly conceived with a clear idea, mm. and it's a bit of a rag bag. You end up rewriting it millions of times, and it never quite sort of adds up into a coherent whole yeah uh, and it it looked to me like they must have done loads of passes on it going oh no that, that character's sort of disappeared we need to pump that character up oh no but now there's too much of that character we need a bit more of that character oh and it was too funny uh, we we need more action oh no there's, there's do you think at any point they ever jokes. said we need more sonny bono no 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 uh he he's only there for uh for like four moments really i think his only his only actual plot importance really is putting the herb in the stew that makes the Germans shit themselves. Yeah, <laughs> that, yeah. Even that was David Niven's idea. Socrates' revenge. Yeah. 
And he died crashing into a tree while skiing. Tony Bonnet, yeah, that's right, yes. So, the last laugh's on him. That's right. Not really, he died. He died so it's, it's, an odd, it's an odd mixed bag, this thing. It yeah. is a weird film, yep. but it doesn't quite manage to peak to a level of weirdness where you can see it as a cult thing. Yeah. So what another film you have to compare it to, apart from Mamma Mia yeah. and, and uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, uh-huh. is Escape to Victory, yep. which is also a film that starts with the words Escape to mm-hmm. from roughly the same time and has a weird selection of actors in it. Yeah. And Escape to Victory is a certain sort of shitness that people watch it and go, oh, that's... You know that that's you sort of don't forget it, and you tell other people about it. Mm-hmm. Escape to Athena doesn't quite manage that yet. There are moments of brilliance in it, just just two, I think, and other ones which are sort of okay. There's there's another film in there mm-hmm. starring Telly Savalas, yeah, that would actually be really good. A film about the Greek resistance, yeah, with Nazi occupied yeah. island would be a great film. I mean, they had if you just take away half the cast. Um, and uh, and get in like a, a more of a another sort of tough guy up against him a German, a proper German tough guy. Yeah, because the antiques that... angle isn't very interesting. Is no, it? well, it is when it's Indiana Jones. That's mm. the thing. Mm. It's not like that's this. That's like the test example to put against this to mm. show you it working. Yeah, <laughs> good. So, had you seen it before? I hadn't seen it before. No. Are you pleased you've seen it? Now? I am pleased I've seen it. Yes, because it was a very interesting watch. Yeah. Okay. We've reached the point of the podcast where I ask you some quick-fire questions. Yes. Have you got those written down? Uh, actually, I have think, some things written down. Good. So, in your opinion, who is the best Bond and what is the best Bond film? The best Bond film, I think, is a toss-up between Moonraker and Casino Royale. There's silly Bond films and there's gritty Bond films, and I think those are the best ones of those two. They're certainly the best examples of yeah. that, yeah. And I'd, I'd probably go Casino Royale just on that. Uh, best Bond, you know, I've... I've been struggling with this all day. I still don't know what to think. Hmm. Uh, I'll, I'll say more. I'll say more. It's Good. A, it's, a, it's a normal choice. I know a lot of people say it, but I'll say more. Perfect. Um, so who is the worst Bond and what's the worst Bond film? Worst Bond is Lazenby, sadly. Um, I know, you know, I, sh- I should hunt around for a different one, but, you know, Lazenby. Mm-hmm. And the worst Bond film, Quantum of Solace. I, I thought that was streets ahead of, of all of them in the shitness stakes. However... Uh, about three months ago, my son, for a one month, became a Bond obsessive. He's 11 and he's on the, he's on the spectrum, his Asperger's. Right. So when he gets into something, he really gets into it. Mm-hmm. So for Christmas, he got uh, the uh, James Bond box set of nice. all 24 films. So I started listening to a lot of Smirchpod around that time. Did you? Yes, I did. Oh. Because I was watching a lot of Bond films. And I'd never seen Octopussy. And when I saw Octopussy, I went, oh, wow, this is really giving Quantum of Solace a run for its money. You know, this is... Have you watched Spectre? I have watched Spectre. I don't think it's as bad as either of those two. Wow. I have a lot to say about Spectre, and it is shit, mm. but it's not, it's not quite as bad as those two. Okay, good. All right. Uh, so who would you have as James Bond next? He's getting a little old for it, but I would say Chiwetel Ejiofor, mm. who I think would be... Because he kills people really brutally in Serenity. I was going to say Serenity. Yeah. Is the- and you go, whoa, he's really... And he's, he's always really good at being posh. He's so good in Serenity. People yeah. don't. People forget he was in there. Yeah, yeah. But he he's can, an amazing. He, bad he guy. can do anything. I think Chiwetelejiofor would be actually the best James Bond and the best Doctor Who. Mm. Sooner or later, he'll be too old to be Bond because you know people are saying Idris Elba, but he's like forty nine, fifty. He's, he's only he's about a year younger than Daniel Craig. Exactly. Though. He's got he's yeah. got like one film in him, and then and then he's he's too old. Well, by the time I mean it's like two years. Yeah. The next one, he'll be way too old. Yeah, Chiwetelejiofor, I think is not. He'd quite be a as good baddie yeah. as well, Chiwetel. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, I mean, when he gets too old, I mean. Yes. Um, uh, James Bond is full of stupid names like Money Penny, Smallbone, and Goodhead. Mm. Can you give me your best Bond lady name, please? Thursday, what's it? Thursday, what's it? Because uh, with uh, in oh god, what is it? The one with Christmas Jones in uh, Denise Richards. Yep. It's one. Of, it's one of the Brosnan ones. And they're, they're, the world is not enough. But yes, yeah. the names of the Brosnan ones I always find it very hard to to stick in my brain, mm-hmm. and. They, they wait all the way till the end of the film to do a joke about Christmas coming once a year. Yeah. Um, but they haven't done that joke now for, what, for about 18 years? No. So Thursday, what's it? And uh, she comes once a week, but when she does, it lasts 24 hours or nice. something. And what's it just because it sounds faintly rude. does, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, so give me your best Bond film title that you just made up. Tomorrow is Yesterday. Nice. And that will be something about convincing someone that it's two days earlier than it was in the a key point in the story uh and i don't know what else but it just you, the, there are certain bond words aren't there there's gold yeah die um what are the other ones that turn up more than kill ones? kill okay kill yeah. gold gold die kill mm-hmm. you gotta have one, one of those but t- tomorrow because of tomorrow well, it's got never. that sense of vagueness that yeah a lot of times yeah because like. they have to be vague you have mm. to not quite know what it is uh i think yeah for it for it to really work you know, like what? What is what is a thunderball? It's impossible to know. Well, they they wreck on it in the film, don't they? Yeah, I know, but you don't yeah. know. But from the poster, same with Moonraker. That's yeah, it. what's a Moonraker? Yeah. Exactly. What? What? For your eyes only. That well, they've all got secrets in. Isn't all the a Moonraker though somebody who chases dreams or something? I don't know. Is that after the film or before? I don't. Know. I only I only know it from Book the film. So I'm I'm sure it completely killed off the saying if it did exist. Yeah. Um. So. A hypothetical fist fight takes place between Simon Templer the Saint and James Bond 007. Who wins? Bond, because for me, Simon Templer is Ian Ogilvy. Because I've never seen the original Saint for the 60s. But when, when I was about seven or eight, I did sometimes watch Return of the Saint on ITV. And he was quite smooth and sophisticated, but he looked like a streak of piss. And I reckon at least half of the Bonds could knock him flat. Didn't he have a cool car? The you know, He had a, a Jaguar XJS. Everyone wanted one. That was like the cool car of the time. Yeah. Made by British Leyland, but it was the cool British Leyland car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, good. And finally, you're stranded on a desert island with Sean Connery, George Lazenby, Roger Moore, Timothy Dalton, Pierce Brosnan, and Daniel Craig. Who do you elect as leader to devise your rescue attempt? And if it fails, who do you eat first? Okay. Well, knowing that the plan is going to fail, I would say I would elect Connery to do the plan because I think Connery would be the most violent one on there. I mean, if, if assuming they've all kind of got their Bond personas, yeah, yeah, roughly speaking, they're all kind of in their physical prime, or at least their their Bond prime. Uh, Connery, I think, would be the most dangerous one. So what I'll do is I'll give Connery the uh, uh, the, the plan, right? Mm-hmm. So then the plan fucks up. Connery is feeling like on edge because he kind of knows he fucks up. I would I would have the machete in my hands and I say, look, we've got the plan failed. We're still on this island. We've got to start eating each other, mm-hmm. and you know we've got to look to maybe who was responsible for that. Connery will be like squaring up, like ready to to have a, like a proper fight. Yeah. Then I would just spin round and bury the machete straight in Brosnan's head because he wouldn't see it coming. Right. No you really one, thought about no this. one said yeah yeah yeah, yeah. because I th- I think Brosnan would be the one that's easiest to hit of all of them, um, and also I think Brosnan would be quite nice. Hmm. So I I think no one would expect me to kill that one. They'd think I would I'd probably hit Craig or, or Connery and you know, Craig's got a lot of meat on him. Hmm. But that you see that would be an unpredictable thing. So that means that would mean that no one will quite know what I was gonna do next. 
because I'm on an island with six bonds. Yeah, yeah. I could die at any time. Hmm. I've got to really try and establish my dominance, and I, I, that's how I would do it. Hmm. Not all the bonds are going to get off no, this place. No, no, you're right. Good. I, ha- I have thought that one through. You definitely have. <laughs> Slightly too much. While I was on the tube on the way here, I, I started sort of thinking, yeah, about, about it. Finally as well. Yeah. Yeah, good. Well, Andy, thank you so much for escaping to oh, Athena with me. Yeah, escape. It should be escape from something. It, it, it ah, it's a really. It should be called escape around. from Stalag Luft Seven Z. Yeah, it's, but not escaping. No, <laughs> true. Thank you very much. Thank you, John. Bye bye. You may have noticed that at the end of the Escape to Athena podcast, we didn't reveal Andy's secret about who fought in World War II and was still working in 2005. Now, Andy and I have gone to the pub after the podcast and we've realised we haven't done this. So I'm going to hand over to Andy now to reveal the secret. Okay, the actor who served in the Second World War and appeared, I think, the latest in a film in a combat role in 2005 is Christopher Lee and the film is Star Wars Episode 3 Revenge of the Sith where he plays Count Dooku and has a lightsaber fight with liver spots all over his face and neck he's really really very old uh, against Anakin Skywalker and Obi-Wan Kenobi Time inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.